Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. We are back as we do every Monday between 2 to 3, where we discuss Chinuch, we discuss ourselves, we discuss our community, how to make ourselves better people, how to influence our families, our neighbors, our community, our country, everybody, how to make the world a better place. And today's topic is... Not the same typical topic we always have. However, it's extremely important. We are going into the, I guess we call it here, high holidays, which I don't really like the term because I think all holidays are very high and I think all connections with Hashem should be uh, on the top level. But you know what I mean. So as we go into the month of Tishrei with all the holidays coming ahead, we all know this is the time that we connect to our community. This is the time we connect to our rabbis. We connect to our shuls, um, our tradition. We, we connect on many levels. However, the way I would imagine it is, and the way I see it, rabbis, as the leaders in the community, have more areas of responsibility, or at least should have, which we'll discuss uh, shortly, more areas than just uh, the traditional connection and traditional services at shul, there's a lot more of what a rabbi should, can, and is probably responsible to or towards the community. And we're going to be talking about quite a bit of these different topics to explore where the role of the rabbi or whole year round, not only in this month of Tishrei, comes in for the community. Um, unless maybe I'm wrong. Maybe one of you listening now thinks that, Rabbi, no, they should focus only on their uh, ceremonies and shul and that's it, and they are not leaders in the community. Uh, if you think that way or if you think other way or anything you want to comment or say or add to the conversation, please send us an SMS to 34519, SMS line 34519. But any question, any topics, or Telegram, by the way, 061-895-1019. Again, telegram line is 061-895-1019. Anything you are wondering, is this a rabbi's role in the community? Do we need to address it? Let's talk, and we're going to be talking quite deep and many different topics that we don't normally talk here on this show and generally in this, uh, and as a community discussion that I feel it's time. So right before we go into the discussion with my special guest today, uh, just to mention as well, if you want to know ahead of time who's going to be on this show, and you could prepare the time, prepare the questions. And by the way, I get quite a bit of people contact me before the show regarding the topics that will be discussed, or people wanting to know about podcasts, that you can find all of that on the High FM website. Um, however, you could send your name and number to 34519 as SMS line, or 0618951019 Telegram, and you can be uh, added to the to the group that will let you know ahead of time what who is going to be on this show and how to make sure you are up to date with everything happening here. So my guest today um, is Rabbi Daniel Bider, who is feels like he's changed the community and been here forever, but actually hasn't been here that long, uh, quite a few years and done quite a bit. Uh, Rabbi Daniel Bider is a um, ex-banker, and I'm saying it because we're going to talk about the financial aspects of the community as well. Uh, however, right, he, now he is the rabbinical CEO of um, Orsamech Shul's community in Glen Hazel, and as Orsamech community has much more than one 
place and one location, there is a lot to discuss about the roles of a rabbi in the community. So let's go right into it. Good afternoon, Rabbi. Thank you so much for being with me today. Good afternoon, Rabbi Gartner. Great pleasure and honor to be here with you today. So before we start, tell me a bit about yourself and your journey in South Africa. You've been here for three years, I'd say. I landed on the 8th of January, wrong, 9th of January, 2020, thinking I was coming here for what was going to be an eight-month uh, experience, eight-month mini sabbatical, and two and a half years later, I still seem to be here. 2020, what a simple year to live in and to come into a new country. <laughs> I'm sure you got a lot of fun, a lot of experience. Okay, so let's talk first about the wellness of a community. And I'm going to step away from the spiritual aspects, unless you'll tell me it's connected, and step away from, you know, the more traditional stuff we do in shul in the community. There's wellness. There's needs that the community has as individuals, as a community, as a group, on, on many different levels, um, about lifestyle, mental, general wellness of community. Do you see a room and space for a rabbi to be involved in that m- space of the community? So I think the rabbi's job has grown uh, massively over the past uh, couple of hundred years in some respects. It used to be the case that uh, people would be going to the rabbi to ask them uh, mainly uh, halakhic questions. They'd be asking, uh, you know, there's this chicken with a broken bone in it. Is it kosher? Is it not kosher? And there were other people in the community, if I understand correctly, if I understand the history, who would be able to help you with other things, other issues you had going on in your lives, or they wouldn't be there at all and you wouldn't be able to deal with these other issues. Lots of where we're up to these days is based on the fact that, uh, to some extent, we moved away from uh, issues of pure survival. If you uh, think about uh, Maslow's pyramid of human needs, most people in our community aren't worrying where their next meal is coming from. There are, there are many who are, but many people have started to look around at uh, bigger issues, etc., and Which I think will, we'll need to talk about as sure, well, because sure. uh, I, I think that you're right. There are people that are worried, and, and we need to look at it as a community. Okay, well, go ahead. So in a way, it's kind of a luxury being able to worry about what we call first world problems, but it's not a luxury at all when you're in it. These are real issues which can take people to very deep, dark places. So the rabbi needs to be there for everybody. The expectation is that the rabbi should be there to catch anything which anybody else isn't taking care of, and there are lots of things which people aren't taking care of. And so the rabbi's job has grown tremendously from what I can see. So I know that since you came here in the position and since you took the position, if I'm not mistaken, you've done it after you were already a rabbi here. Um, you went for training as a, a IFS um, therapy to be aware. And so is there room for that emotional and need? And, and by the way, you're not the only rabbi. There's another rabbi in the community who contacted me and we did some training of therapeutical work. Where's that coming from? Well, I'd still call myself very much a a layman. I know people who are uh, far more qualified and far more experienced than me in terms of IFS, internal family systems, or any other kind of uh, mental health stuff. But I find it's really useful to have uh, what we call in the business some kalim, some tools to help people who are coming, uh, who want to have a serious discussion with their rabbi about what's going on in their lives. Gone are the days when we can simply say, um, you know, you've got a problem, check in with us. I mean, of course you should. I don't want to denigrate. I don't want to look down upon. Check, the, but also get <laughs> look up from the therapeutical le- exactly, level. Exactly. So, but are you saying it's it's 
it's a luxury for a rabbi to have some therapeutical tools or it's actually a necessity today and, and a must? I think it's really important because I, I'd say I'd say that the, the main thing, what most people want more than anything else is to, is to be heard. Um, just taking time out of your schedule to listen to what's going on to one of your congregants or one of the people who might daven at a, who might go to a, might attend a different local synagogue but happens to have picked on you as a, the guy they want to talk to. Just showing a human being I've got 15 minutes 20 minutes half an hour to listen to what you're saying without too many suggestions just to hear what you're going through when maybe no one else is doing that is an incredible gift that you can give to someone there any skills you have in addition to that are, are a bonus a very important bonus and um, I think it's very important that a rabbi should try and uh, uh, build up his skills. Definitely. So, so uh, I hear that completely. We do need to take a ad break, but when we come back, I want to discuss actually what you're saying is about the rabbi having the tools and the basic therapeutical knowledge or something of tools, um, very minimal knowledge, but some knowledge and understanding and being able to help. My question is, is that for when people approach you or is there room and a need for a rabbi to actually reach out to the community and see what their emotional and and, and mental health needs are. Uh, we'll, we will take first a, a quick ad break, but when we come back, and in the meantime, anyone listening, if you have a thought about that, should the rabbi be reaching out to you about mental, emotional, other challenges that you have, or only if you go up to him, then it's his place to have a discussion. 34519 is the SMS line. 0618951019 is the telegram. A short ad break, and we will be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Hi FM, G. We are back in the middle of a fascinating discussion with Rabbi Daniel Bader, who is the CEO, rabbinical CEO of Orsamech Glen Hazel. Not Glen Hazel, actually, Johannesburg. You have Glen Hazel, only Glen Hazel. Only Glen Hazel. Okay, so the, C- the rabbinical CEO of Orsamech Glen Hazel. And we are discussing about the role of a rabbi of reaching out, and we are actually about to dive into reaching out in case of mental illness, mental challenges, social, emotional challenges. What if you see somebody in your community is depressed? Are you worried somebody maybe hurt themselves or commit suicide or any of those areas? Is there a room for a rabbi or a need? What is the rabbi's role to actually reach out to these, uh, to the people in the community? That and many more we will be discussing. So anything you want to comment, as well as if you would like to know ahead of time who are the guests who is going to be with me on the show, please send the SMS to 3519 or Telegram 061-895-1019. Comment, ask, and we will um, discuss any of your thoughts. So Rabbi, should a rabbi reach out? Where's the boundary between him and the community? So my view is the rabbi should definitely be reaching out. A rabbi is not a therapist who's waiting for people to come to him with their problems and what they want to talk about. Yes, there's that as well. Yes, you should be available if someone wants to come to you. But it's also your job to stoke the coals a bit, to give people things to think about. And they want to see your personality. You've got to, you've got to share with them. You've got to be quite vulnerable and tell them a little bit about what's going on in your own life. And you've got to share your history with them. And the greater the extent to which you're able to get into people's minds that, hey, there might be something here I should think about, uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing and can lead to lots of healing all over. So um, I'll just give you a funny example. Um, I think it's quite funny. So I wanted people, this is, this is not really a mental health topic, this is more of a, uh, as we come up to uh, the festival of Rosh Hashanah, and we want to start thinking about the idea of Hashem being in charge of the world, God being in charge of the world. I told the, I told the people at Shul this week that 
we, um, you know, we, we sometimes have this kind of cupboard where we, which we open and close, and God's there when we want him, not there when we don't want him. And I drew on a childhood experience. My grandmother used to have a cloak cupboard in the house, my late grandmother, and inside it was a picture of the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II of, um, of blessed memory, who passed away a few days ago. Yeah. And um, I, I, I was always very heartwarmed by the fact my grandmother had this picture of the Queen in her cloakroom. And I'm absolutely sure that, of course, the Queen in her cloakroom had a picture of my grandmother as well. And, uh, you know, so our family <laughs> seemed very connected. <laughs> but I, I just put it to people that this is me. This is a story I had. And this is something we can relate to. So it's very important to be out there sharing stories, sharing memories, sharing things that are happening and letting people, putting it to people that there's stuff you should be thinking about. I also want to bounce off something else you said. You were talking about some very deep, dark places. You were talking about suicides and mental illness. There's also mental health of the community. Um, thank God most of the community, from what I can see, are not suffering from mental illness. There are people who may be suffering from mental illness, but people's mental health isn't as good as it should be. And I certainly wouldn't want to ignore that part of the picture. Meaning? Meaning, if a child lives in your home until the age of 18, that means they've celebrated 900 and, um, 936 Shabbases with you. That means they've had 936 Erev Shabbases. There have been 936 Fridays in your house. What does Friday look like? Is it a stressful time? Is it a time when you're giving your children tools to build them for the future so that when they are hopefully celebrating Shabbos in their homes in the future, they can do so in a joyous way without treading on each other's toes, you know, producing a, a beautiful energy? Or is it a time in the week when everyone's very stressed, etc.? No, no one's getting mentally ill, I think, on, on Friday, one would hope. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> so, you'll be surprised, i got to okay, say about okay, that. Okay. But, Fine. Um, so you would say that a rabbi needs to actively reach yes, out and discuss that element of... Uh, by the way, one of the messages coming in is exactly that. Uh, thank you for the compliments, by the way. And then, yes, I feel the rabbi must reach out to people sometimes that are afraid of, ashamed to ask. Sorry, I need to see the rest of the... That's the end of the message, okay. Sometimes they are afraid to ask. So so yeah. certain, certainly he should be in the lookout. He should give people the tools. He should, he should say, he should say, in my opinion, that uh, I know some people are depressed about this. I know some people are worried about X, Y, Z. By the way, I'm available if anyone wants to speak to me. And no one has to put their hand up there. And then you should just keep on reminding people you're available. And if someone wants to speak to you, you are, you are their guy. I think it also helps to be very naturally curious to sort of want to know about people. So fortunately, I am. So fortunately, that helps. So you do connect, and you do have that space. But I, I and I and I accept what you're saying that the majority of, of the work would be around mental um, um, wellness. However, there are mental health issues, and sure. are we? And and from what you're seeing in the community, are we standing up strong and making sure that we are preventing people from suffering? As this message some came in, sometimes people are ashamed to ask and ashamed to reach out. We don't feel safe. A lot of times the mental illness comes with this insecurity that a, a, a person feels. Where does the rabbi role come in there to actually reach out and make sure they're okay? I think it's extremely important to um, be able to n- notice who, who's there, who's not there. Some will be missing. That's, a, that's a, 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 an easy um, sign to pick up. That some, someone's gone away for a, for a few weeks, somebody you're used to seeing. You should try and find out immediately what's happened. Um, that doesn't look good. Uh, the other thing that you can do is if you think somebody's got a um, something which they're totally uncomfortable speaking about, uh, what we call a, a taboo topic, you can make it not taboo. The moment that you start speaking about this, all of a sudden it's not taboo. The rabbi spoke about it. The rabbi carries some sort of authority in this regard, and the things which people were unable, unwilling to speak about up to this point in time, you can bring them into the 
you can bring them into the consensus. You can make that stuff which people are, are talking about and hopefully reduce that barrier. Let someone let someone uh, let someone talk to you without knowledge of without fear of being judged because you just said so raising those issue. topics raising those topics one okay. other thing I would say you should do is it's very difficult to keep track of 200 300 400 people which you get in the big school very important to have some people out there who say listen I can't know everything that's going on in everyone's life please you know if you, if you attend or 20 congregants you're close to and you say to them listen I cannot be on top of everyone, but if ever you hear something, please just tell me confidentially, discreetly. That is a useful tool, I would say. Okay. So when you say that the rabbi has the authority to bring up taboo topics, that authority, the way I see it, is also responsibility, meaning that rabbi should be speaking about taboo topics and raising the the community and taking away from uh, the community's shame and challenge around it. Sure. And also, if, if all he's doing is making the community feel good about everything they're doing, then he's not really pushing anyone to to grow at all. You should be putting ideas out there and letting people think, is this something I want to know more about? Is this an area which I want to grow in or develop at all? Okay, so then let's go a bit deeper. And, and you know, if, if it's the authority of the responsibility to raise uncomfortable topics, I'll, I'll go slowly, start with one, and we'll go. We'll raise the heat even later. Let's first talk you, about you get, finances. You're getting me worried now. Yeah, <laughs> just wait what's coming. Okay, let's Where's talk about finances. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's start with finances. Um, the As an ex-banker, I have to ask you, I know you're a rabbi and you're leading as a rabbi, but I'm sure you have your financial uh, knowledge from the past. What's happening in our community? Uh, the numbers that are coming to me and what I'm hearing of how many people are actually managing financially without extra help are horrifying. What are we doing as rabbis? Is there a rabbi's role in the community on a financial level? Um, and maybe is it on a level of, of helping and supporting or is it also about actually helping people manage their finances and getting knowledge and learning about it? I think there's kind of three different categories this splits into. So many many uh, synagogues, many rabbis will have a fund, a discretionary fund, which they can use to help people who are having a hard time. That doesn't really help the issue very much. If people are struggling financially and you give them some money, yes, you've uh, given them a fish, but you haven't really taught them to fish. Very important that people get the tools needed to make financially responsible decisions. And um, I've actually spent uh, spent a while with an organization in Israel called Masila, which I can tell you more about, where they actually are very good at uh, training you to get on top of your finances. I can talk about that now for a minute or two. If yes, you like. because uh, sure. because I, I hear 100% what the rabbi is saying. However, I don't really see that many communities here offering financial growth and, and guidance and understanding. Yes, funds, everybody does. And, and it's amazing what the rabbis are doing here financially to support individuals. But that's on the level of the fish, not on the level of fishing. Exactly. And so what what needs to happen? Well, one thing that happens when people are in financial difficulty is they often run into what we call cognitive dissonance. Uh, They are operating under a cloud of not really knowing how much money I've got, not wanting to know how much money I've got. Bills come in. Let me put them in the top drawer. Too scared to know. Yes, I sort of don't want to know. And so that's that's a very difficult uh, burden to be walking around with. I've got uh, X coming in, hopefully, and I'm spending uh, X plus Y. And they don't know what the why is. That's really difficult because when you don't know what it is, when it's just this impossible cloud you're walking around under, uh, which is hovering above you, that that impacts you on all levels. And what what some financial training, financial literacy can do is it can turn that nebulous cloud, I don't know what the figure is, I don't know what the gap is, into a gap, into an actual amount, the difference between what's coming in each month and what's going out each month. And when you know there's a number... There's a number you can work with. Well, if I work a little, if I work for the next three hours, I can chip away in that way. If I 
um, if I uh, cancel some of my subscriptions to whatever, I can save some money that way. You can even have a think about which other things, what other things I'm wasting money on, what are the things that I subscribe to, which I don't even use. There are painful cuts, painless cuts, etc. Once you know it's uh, it's seven thousand rand, which I miss out on every month, which is seven, which is falling through the cracks. Once it's an actual number, we have a saying in Hebrew: "Ein simcha kataras Once you know, once the cloud, once the cloud turns into a number, a number is something you can work with. A cloud is something very difficult to work with. So okay. that's that's what financial literacy training can do. But I must okay. say, apart from that, there's something much bigger, which is the mental health issues that go with um, being under that cloud, and that's a whole different topic, really. Okay, so it's a whole different topic, but it's not such a big different topic. But are we dis- delusional? Are we actually, as a community, living in reality to our income? Because we do live way more comfortably than most communities in the world. Well, this is interesting. Does com- does does living comfortably mean looking at your uh, looking at your assets, looking at how it all looks to the outside, or does living comfortably mean looking inside your headspace and seeing what's going on there? There's an interesting idea which I which shared. one do we do? Right. I don't know. Everyone only knows this themselves. And many people who are spending more than they should aren't even aware of this. It's very easy these days to spend money we don't have on things which we don't need. These are incredibly important things to think about. You used to have to actually slide your credit card. Now you can just go ping. It's not easy. So these are major, important, majorly important questions. I, um, I, I shared an idea a few weeks ago in, uh, in Shul about the fact that there are various uh, offerings people need to bring in certain situations in the in the temple back in the day when we did that. And there's an interesting idea there. It talks about the the, 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 the middle-class person bringing a sheep, someone who was less well-off. It says, If you can't afford a sheep, this is a very interesting concept, if you can't afford. Who these days thinks about, can I afford? This is a fantastic... <laughs> way to launch a discussion about I think we a yeah. lot of us think about can I afford but we do that after we already stretch out the the the, the overdraft and after we stretch out our loans then okay. we start thinking can we afford and and maybe it's not about do we think that way is it's about what do we think that way on time okay so the mess the message on some level from the the Torah is that there's a thing called being able to afford something and there's a thing called be, be not being able to afford it and if you can't afford it that's a that's a reality and you better have a way of uh, dealing with it it's much worse to um, to not be able to afford something and buy it than to simply not be able to afford it. You're in a lot worse trouble if you can't afford it and you buy it. So knowledge, right. awareness that something is beyond your affordability is crucial. This is, a, this is a real idea put out there by the Torah and people need to realize everyone in the world has stuff they can't afford. There's no one who doesn't have stuff they can't afford. You just have to know where that is and be real with your situation. Right. And, and in a way, part of the challenge is that many times we're not going over budget by doubling it, but, but just by another 10% or something that's just, just a bit too much, exactly. which is creating that exactly. chaos. Exactly. I had an interesting discussion with uh, my good friend in Israel, Rabbi uh, Shmuli Margulis, who started Masila. I said to him, what's going on? You know, you're telling me that uh, you can financially train people. I get people coming to me who, who are meat, uh, as is often the case in Israel, who seem to be who seem to have expenses up here and, and they're zero income. He says it can't help those people. It helps the majority you're, of people. You're describing a big gap. We're on radio, <laughs> yes. not TV. So, it, it, yeah. does, <laughs> it, it, does, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with big gaps. Most people aren't into big gaps. Most people have the common sense to know approximately what they earn, and they let their guard down and spend about an extra 15 or 20% over and above what they earn. Now, since that's the majority, that's the majority you can actually help because they just have a vague sense, I shouldn't really be buying this, but I'll push it a little bit. Most people are not going out there spending five times what they earn. That would crash pretty quickly. It's to help the, the majority of overspenders, all of us, who are spending 15% more. That's where you can actually give people tools and help them. 
Okay. So I, I do want to move from the financial topic forward. The, another message is coming in. Somebody's asking, is is there a need for the community to cover that gap? Meaning if one, if some families are feeling comfortable, should we hope that all families could feel that level? Or we say, no, everybody needs to live on their level of income and just that they're managing. So my sense is that you're, you're missing a trick if the community simply fills in the gap. If you fill in the gap, then then who says people are learning the idea of living within their means? If people really don't have subsistence stuff or people are really suffering or people can't afford to pay school fees, the answer may be yes, but it all will depend on the circumstances that the community filling in the gap means that people no longer have to think about what they're spending. Surely that can't be right. Does that make sense? No, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Okay, so um, Robert spoke about the the... Um, authority and therefore responsibility. And I do think we need to up the discussion into areas we don't normally discuss and we don't normally go there. Um, I, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to say two things before I ask the question. Number one, I'm going to remind everybody if they want to comment about anything, especially about what's about to come up, which is quite a big issue, I think, is the SMS line is 34519, as well as if you want to n- get, n- know ahead of time who's going to be on the show, SMS line 34519 or Telegram 0618951 The second thing I'm going to say before I'm going to ask the question is quite a few of the listeners have mentioned to me that they do listen to the show while they pick up their kids from school and go back from school. Um, and because I'm going to be raising a bit the heat of the discussion, if you are, if you do have sensitive listeners in the car with you, um, perhaps maybe uh, it turn off the radio right now. I, I'm, um, quite, I'm um, quite a sensitive listener myself, Robert Gardner. You're a sensitive I, listener. <laughs> so, I, leave you at this so I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, uh, Craig, I think we should lock the door. Um, no, okay. be, be, because it's something that many rabbis don't like to chat about, but I will, I will ask. There's a whole group of people that feel that they're really unwelcome in the shuls and really unwelcome in the communities. Regardless if it's correct or not, that you could say about how welcoming you are, but they feel very, very unwelcome. And that those are the people that are... Um, We, we we'd call the same people that have same-sex attraction people that um, are part of the community are in the shuls want to come to shuls but they live a life that is um, their attraction their lifestyle what they see is not what the rabbi typically uh, the same lifestyle as the rabbi typically and they feel very isolated and very unwelcome in the shul What is your, we'll start simple. What is your general view on it regarding your community? My general view is, can we have a commercial break at this point? I'm only joking. Yeah. Uh, you, I said, I hope we'll stay friends after this discussion. Okay, so definitely friends. Yeah, definitely friends. Okay. Uh, okay, well, this, is really, this really is a hot potato. You've, uh, you've uh, landed on me. Um, I'm so slow because I could still raise the heat. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> sure, very encouraging. Okay. Okay, so I've come into the studio, I guess, as uh, an Orthodox rabbi, which means that I'm not going to compromise uh, my beliefs in any sense on that front. Um, what I'll say is that this is an area which has led to an incredible amount of pain, uh, discord, intolerance, lack of understanding, and... Ignorance? Okay, ignorance. Um, sure, we can do ignorance. And I, I, think, I think this has been turned into a pitched battle when it needn't be. What do I mean by that? So if you're looking for a rabbi who's going to say that we can play around with the Torah and get the Torah to relax its views about the homosexual act, I, I'm not that guy. Um, you need to bring in a reform rabbi. 
Um, the Torah is very clear about, about what it says. Now, the problem is this. The problem is all the, all the players in the game. So there are two very hyper-vigilant groups of people on either side of the fence, as far as I can see, who make this into a much bigger issue than it needs to be, really. There are certainly intolerant religious individuals who don't understand the pain that a religious homosexual person is going through, regardless of whether they are active or not. We're told to be don la kapsuchus. We, we're told that we shouldn't judge anyone until we get into this situation. So to simply say, um, well, I'll tell, let's go back a stage. Uh, the, the, the traditional response in many circles has been to... So, you know, to, before to, we to go back, uh, we yeah. do have to go out for an ad break. I guess okay, you, sure. your prayers were answered. I thank guess you, thank I, you. I think I'll come to your show on Rosh Hashanah. Okay. So your prayers were answered. We are going for an ad break. And then when we come back, we will continue the discussion. And if you have any inputs about this, any comments, anything you want to say or not say... Um, Please, 34519 is SMS line 061-895-1019 is the Telegram short break, and we will be right back. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. 1.9 FM, we are back in the middle of a very, very fascinating discussion that I'm having with Rabbi Daniel Bader, who is the CEO, a rabbinical CEO of Or Sameach in Glen Hazel. Okay, so right before the ad break, we were discussing the the relationship, I'd say, between the religious community and the rabbis and leaders in the community to people that have same-sex attraction and where they find themselves within the community. And the rabbi started saying that there are two um, extreme views on the topic, and I stopped you for ad breaks, so go for it. Right, you stopped for ad breaks, then you introduced me as uh, the one of the rabbis that was Glenn Hazel. I hope I still am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. The CEO, so you're safe. CEO, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> okay. okay, good. So, um, the traditional response on this topic, and it needs to kind of change because this is, this is much more uh, in the limelight these days, the traditional response, perhaps by the from world, the religious world, has been to kind of ignore the topic and hope that it will go away. That's not really going to work these days because ignoring a topic is, is in and of itself, is, is inherently not ignoring it as a statement and hoping it will go away. It's clearly not going to go away. Um, so, that's led to people who don't really know how to deal with this topic and has led to people being very judgmental, very intolerant, not realizing the pain that a lot of individuals are going through. I guess that's the, that's the hypervigilance on the uh, traditional side of the fence. On the other side of the fence, um, we have a, a gay lobby, I would say. I wouldn't say gay community, because gay community is not the same as, as gay lobby, who, um, who have set the bar so high in terms of what they need, uh, what they need from Judaism. It seems almost unfair. Um, n- not only, m- not only must, not only, w- from what I can see, um, would they want Judaism to be 100% comfortable with uh, the idea of a, a gay relationship? They also, in some senses, want a celebration of this. Now, that's also not going to happen. That's not going to happen. If we can sort of. Um, walk between the raindrops. There might be some kind of pathway which uh, which works out for people. There are all. Why does it need to be two sides of the fence? Why do we need a fence? Um, it would be. I don't think there should be a fence. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think this has been made in a way into a much bigger topic than it needs to be. Now I understand why, particularly based on the the zeitgeist now, the generation where there is a need for sexual expression. The gay community feels it's very important that we should be able to express ourselves as gay people. Judaism doesn't really go in for this sexual expression idea, as far as I can see. You don't have heterosexual um, sexual expression, and there's not 
don't really not really looking for to accommodate or not accommodate homosexual sexual expression. It's more about the following. There are all sorts of people in Judaism who are challenged in some sense by something which it says in the Torah. These can be people who are in danger of losing their job if they violate, if they don't, if they uh, don't turn up on Shabbos. There are heterosexual people whose behavior is, is very curtailed. Actually, most heterosexual observant people, their sexual behavior is going to be pretty curtailed by um, halacha. There are people who are um, who, who have restrictions that make things. Yes, exactly. Uh, they, they, they can't. So the idea of saying there's one group who's, who's, uh, whose behavior is so curtailed and so at odds with halacha makes create creates this incredible friction here and i'm just putting it out there um is there a way to explore this in terms of individuals not being part of some group some highly uh, politicized group who need to view this as um this is our identity and we're not going to be happy until the judaism can accommodate us can is is there a way is there a way i mean it's clear what it's clear what i'm suggesting to the um, I guess the more intolerant voices are on the on the traditional religious side of of the fence. If I can talk about the fence again, that maybe we can be a little less intolerant. Maybe we can realize there's an in- individual suffering there. And people often do when it's maybe a relative of theirs or a child of theirs or a friend of theirs who they realize is having this. They become a little less uh, who's experiencing. So they they become a little less intolerant. By the same token, can we be less? So what you're saying yes. is you want to look at them as every individual as an individual, but yes. not as a community. Can, can we t- can we tone down can we tone down the rhetoric on both sides? I think that would be incredibly helpful because we don't normally ask people, um, you know, what are you struggling with in halacha, and we don't expect people to come and say very loudly and very very um, and very publicly, I'm struggling with this, and I've got an issue with it. Everyone's got their own struggles. And normally, this is an intimate intimate conversation, which shouldn't be happening pub- public and not even on the radio. Right, in, according in in the Jew, in the religious community. Yes, there's definitely so, idea, there's definitely an idea that some things are. are best we have no choice, and okay. that's the thing. We have Fine. no choice, and we need to address it. But what the rabbi is saying is, let's address it on an individual level and welcome anybody as an individual into the community. I'm, I'm before that. I'm saying, do people have to view do, do people have to view, uh, view themselves as a disenfranchised group more than any other disenfranchised group? Is anyone disenfranchised? Everyone has issues. Everyone has serious. Um, challenges in terms of what they want to do on a variety of fronts and halacha. Does anyone need to take that personally? So uh, <laughs> are you going to the question, why is there that identity? Meaning they have many other characters. They're, they're who they are. They're family people. Yes. They yes, have yeah, hobbies. I'm, they have, I'm, I'm wondering, there's much I'm, more I'm, to I'm, life. I'm wondering, that, and, and this may not be possible, I'm just wondering if um, putting the idea out there that people might feel less pain if they could step away from the idea of being part of the, you know, the help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, okay, I'll try because we okay. want to stay friends. But basically, you're saying it's instead of identifying specifically Good. in identifying. a community, yes. what you're looking for is let's have a, a personal relationship and whatever you struggle with, you struggle with. And I, and I love you as a, as a per- member of the community and let's see what we can do. And, and, and I'm not even talking about uh, uh, necessarily having that uh, personal uh, relationship with me. Everyone's welcome to have a personal uh, relationship or friendship with me. I'm talking about in terms of people's own personal relationship with Judaism, in terms of feeling that my lifestyle, what what I do is completely incompatible with Judaism. Most people's lifestyle and what they want to do is is impacted by Judaism. But um, it's it's um, 
It's never. So that's a huge point that I have to ask yes. you in that because many times I'll hear from people that are in this situation that they'll say, well, because of my um, my attraction and the way I live my life, I have to give up Judaism because there's no room for me in Judaism. Do you no, agree so, with so, that message? So, so a, a, a someone who's gay is is uh, is obliged to observe Shabbos and should observe Shabbos, can enjoy Shabbos. We don't drop we don't drop everything in Judaism because there's one thing that uh, that that we don't do, we can't do for whatever reason. And I'm not belittling that. I, I appreciate this is, a, this is a real thing for people that that um, this is an insurmountable challenge for some people. That doesn't mean that they are exempt from the rest of Judaism. Okay, so we do have to take another ad break, and I, I'm almost starting to regret that I brought this up in such a short time because there's so much to actually explore and discuss, and this is just really the tip of the iceberg. And I think really the goal of what my question was is to raise a discussion about it in the community, even if we don't resolve it right now, and if we don't know what, but we can't just ignore the reality of so many people, and, and we do need to look into seeing as a community what our role is. So we can continue this for a very short time, but we do have to take an ad break. And when we come back, we will uh, start ending up the show with all these interesting topics. In the meantime, any comments that you want to add? Uh, I, usually the SMS line is not so quiet on this topic. So okay. uh, I, guess, I think people are having a bit of a fright. Uh, anyways, if you want to comment anything, 34519 is the SMS line or Telegram 0618951019. Feel free to message, comment, say what you'd like to say. And as well as if you want to know ahead of time who's going to be in this show, just send a message and you will be informed. A short ad break and we will be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. I'm saying this. 101.9 We are back for the final, final last few minutes of today's show. Very interesting show. I think we spoke about a lot of things, but not in depth. And But it was more about raising topics and awareness, and mm-hmm. I think that are crucial to know. Um, Rabbi, just... Closing words. Me, yes. Um, so to people who are very challenged by the idea of uh, homosexuals uh, or people who have homosexual tendencies in uh, who happen to be Jewish as well, I would say that... Slow down before you go into the intolerant mode. Um, there are real people there. There are actual real people in a lot of pain. And when somebody's in pain, we have to appreciate that someone's in pain. That's real. That's a real person there struggling. And if you're intolerant now, it could be your son, your daughter, your brother, you. Next. Who knows? Uh, to people, uh, to people who, um, who to, to people who think Judaism has uh, has has shut them out, I would say. No, everyone has areas in their life which are currently a real challenge Judaism-wise. It doesn't mean we drop the rest of Judaism. It doesn't mean that um, it doesn't mean that you're not part of the Jewish faith, and it doesn't mean that there's not lots of involvement you can have with 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 Judaism. There is. So you know, w- yeah. throughout the show, we we spoke very briefly, but we spoke about mental health. Uh, well, mental health. We spoke about mental illness. We spoke about finances. We spoke about stress, and uh, we spoke about. Uh, touched about if there is uh, depression or suicide in the community. We spoke about finances. We spoke about sense of attraction. And it kept on going all back to the same point of you cannot just ignore your fellow brother or sister. You cannot just ignore and close your eyes. You have to look out and see. Um, um, and we can't. 
uh, we have to look out for the community, basically, and we have to be responsible. Now the messages are all coming in, but I'm not going to manage to read them. I will look at them, and, and maybe we'll reply at a, at a later stage uh, on the next shows. Um, so keep on sending them. However, we need to look at uh, everybody and see where the pain is, where the struggle is, and the rabbi's um, all, uh, real responsibility is to reach out to anybody in need is what you're saying, no matter what the need is, if it's financially, emotionally, um, sexually, whatever it is, it's the rabbi's space to reach out and accommodate. I would say so. But also, going back to what I said earlier, it's the rabbi's job to make people realize that they might be suffering. Because a lot of people who are suffering, particularly the people who might not be mentally ill, but aren't 100% mentally healthy either, they could really do with some something dropped into their life, an idea to make them think, actually, am I... Am I uh, Am I okay over here or am I really struggling with something? Is there something I need to look into? And I think that's uh, that's just as important, making them start the conversation with themselves as reaching out to the people who are already visibly suffering. A hundred percent. I couldn't um, end off the show in a better way. Uh, the, and, and one of the messages coming in is mess- uh, uh, referring as well to transgender people, which we didn't have time to speak to about in today's show. I think it's a discussion that does need to happen, and we will get there. Uh, it didn't happen today, uh, but we will um, we will have to address. And there's so much out there as a community. But as I said, this is one drop of us saying it's time to talk about what the community is really struggling with. We need to be open, and we need to be um, transparent about what's actually happening. We don't always have to agree, but we always have to live, love and care and be connected. Thank you, Rabbi, for being with us today. It was fascinating. Um, to your benefit, I say, I'll say, I hope we stay friends. And I and I do appreciate that not many rabbis would uh, agree to go into this depth of discussion or this level of discussion. So I really, really appreciate I never, it. I never agreed. And it was a complete surprise. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. I take it back. But um, I, I'm still not good, regretting. Still not regretting. Okay. Um, anyways, and thank you so much for what you've been doing in the community for the past two and a half years. It's really, really amazing. Rabbi Daniel Bider, thank you so much for being with us today. And this is where our show today comes to an end. We will be back with Chai Chinuch, with me, Rabbi G, back next week, Monday, 2 to 3, as we do every week. Uh, in the meantime, keep safe, keep well, and let's have a discussion about what we need to do and respect in others in our community. Have a great week, and we will be in touch next week.